episode of Devotional. We are in a series entitled, Jesus Reveals the Eight Paths to Happiness, and this is episode 12. I really am enjoying this opportunity to put together these uh, episodes as I walk around my little girl and look at nature, especially as it's turning into this glorious hues of crimson, red, bright yellow, oranges. It's just beautiful. And you will probably hear more and more crunchy sounds of uh, leaves as I step on them or go over them with my, my little girl's stroller. That's how the phone fell that a couple of episodes ago. I had uh, set the phone on top of the stroller and we hit this huge uh, pothole on the sidewalk and well, you heard <laughs> what happened. Thankfully, it wasn't me. Anyways, uh, it's a beautiful afternoon today and uh, I wanted to record uh, as we approach now the end of the Beatitudes or the Happitudes, the lessons, the path to happiness Jesus left for you and I. Now we looked at those that are pure in heart and peacemakers as one uh, in one full swing at the last episode and we concluded that those that are pure in heart are not pure because they are making extra effort to be pure but because they have opened themselves up deeper and deeper still to have impurities toxic things removed from them. Uh, I'm happy to tell you that my in-laws, we've been able to communicate with them in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria devastated the entire island. And I am so thankful that my in-laws at least have water. Most of the friends from church and friends from the community, and of course the rest of the family have been over their house to get clean water, water to bathe and water to cook and drink. Uh, having purity in what we take in is so important and uh, when it comes to the idea of purity of the soul what we take in is the grace the power of God his forgiveness his forgiveness doesn't just clear a record somewhere in an abstract record in heaven it actually clears our consciences it allows us to move on from the things that we regret from the things that haunt us, from the things that, for many of us, for me included, many nights caused me to lose sleep over, wondering, does God is, hate me? Is He punish, punishing me? And thus it, it really beautifully segues into the last, second to last, a beatitude, the peacemakers. Now that we have seen that God is not punishing or angry at any single human being, the tragedies we experience and the pain that we do experience, sometimes the nonce, most of the time, is uh, it would appear to be unprovoked and unjust when good people suffer. We will talk about those things in a later series in the devotional, uh, this devotional platform. But for now, uh, I want us to, to conclude by segueing from the peacemakers, those individuals that recognize that there was a time when we were angry at God. Um, maybe some of us that are listening still are. There are areas of our lives that we have not been able to reconcile as to how can a God of love, 
have allowed me or a loved one to suffer in such a way. It seems incompatible. Well, as we work and as we uh, encourage ourselves to uh, search through the scriptures for possible answers and look at our experience and begin to understand how God works in our lives, especially in our lives that are exposed to a very broken system in society, we begin to see that God is not to be blamed. In fact, one of the most miraculous things we can experience is that once we surrender, once we allow His grace, His forgiveness to enter into our experience, some of the darkest chapters, some of the most painful chapters, some of those chapters we much rather not go into, all of a sudden change their meaning. All of a sudden, what used to have no sense or rhyme or reason we begin to extract lessons, precious lessons about the power of God to heal, precious lessons about a God that we do not presently understand fully. We may probably never really understood or understood even less in the past. And yet we're beginning to see this pattern in those areas of our lives where we just were convinced God had done thus and thus and thus for no rhyme or reason, we begin to see, number one, He didn't cause that pain or that heartache. And number two, because we are acknowledging and because we are approaching Him, no longer with our fists, uh, with our hands curled up tightly into fists, ready to fight with Him, but now our hands have been open, open to receive. We know we need, confess our spiritual need, and so our closed fists become open hands, open hands that say, I need, I need grace, I need forgiveness, I need healing. We begin to experience that. We begin to recognize God can work and provide meaningful resources through the painful chapters of our life. There is a story that I shared with you about a woman who was brought to the temple and the people were ready to stone her and said, Jesus, just say the word. Say the word, Moses said we should stone her. Uh, in the Bible, the women that she was caught in adultery. What do you say? You remember that story, right? That was a very painful and dark moment in her life. So she decides to involve a, her surrender. You know, I'm done. This is it. And she is just floored when she hears Jesus telling her, I don't condemn you. And after that, she becomes a disciple of Jesus. And in John chapter 11, it hints at the fact that Jesus became really good friends with this lady, her sister named Martha, and their brother named Lazarus. They felt so comfortable. He felt so comfortable in their company that he would often go and stay with them. And the Bible states that they had become such close friends that Lazarus, Jesus, was comfortable being identified as him loving Lazarus. He loved this precious family family that were broken and yet he was being allowed to heal their lives and in this dark episode um, well this episode that is going to experience darkness in John chapter 11 their brother dies and Jesus was less than three miles away the sisters sent for Jesus telling him this that the one you love is sick and the messengers coming back saying Jesus says that this sickness is not to death but for the glory of God. 
Walde. This certainly gave hope to the sisters. Lazarus, Jesus says that this sickness is not going to be to death, but you'll live and that God will be glorified in your healing. And uh, the, the illness gets worse and uh, then Lazarus dies and Jesus is nowhere to be found. Those are the moments in which in the present, we don't have a clue what God is doing. What's happening? We reached out. We were convinced. We heard his answer. It's not, he's, this disease will not end in death. He's dead. And so Jesus finally shows up. And the funeral has passed. He hasn't even been there for that. They buried him already. He's in the tomb. And Jesus comes and shows himself. And the two sisters come crying. Lord, if you had been here. Lord, if you had been here. Why weren't you here? And Jesus challenges them. You, you do know me, but a little bit. Are you ready to see more of me? If you believe, you need to believe I am more than who you thought I am to you to this moment. I am more than that. Are you ready to see more of who I truly am? And the faith of the sisters, because they love Jesus, surrender. Submit it. So Jesus says, let's go to the tomb. And I mean, that's, that's the last place I think they probably wanted to go to. They had already seen the stone roll and it's done. It's done. There's just no, the point of no return has been crossed. So this is a very painful place. And Jesus says, let's go there. Let's go to that place. You probably won't want to go uh, for many years. You may never want to go visit that place again. Let's go there. And when they take him there, they t he says, roll the stone away. They object. You know, he's been dead for a couple of days now, Lord, and he's decomposing. And uh, Jesus says, you have to trust that I am more. I am more than just a healer. And so they roll away the stone. And you're familiar with this story. He cries out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out, not healed, but resurrected. And that's the power that Jesus wanted to manifest. He had been longing. And he could trust these three brothers and sisters, these three siblings. He could trust them to go through this painful, dark disappointment. To show with them who he really was. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus was polishing and removing from them things that they believed about Him that limited who He was. Jesus wanted to remove these preconceived ideas that they had about Him. He was just a healer. Diseases were the culmination of His power, and Jesus wanted to reveal. And He manifested Himself to these siblings that his power went beyond the grave, not just the sickbed, but the grave. So they got to see their hearts were purified from doubts and um, limitations that they had placed upon Jesus as to what he could and could not do. So now that they had seen God more fully, they could become peacemakers. They could go and tell others, I understand about pain. I understand about how you feel that God has, in fact, 
disappointed you deeply. It is God who has failed you. I know what that feels like, but I can tell you He has not. I can tell you that Jesus has not disappointed you because I thought, I felt that same way too. You can trust that God has not failed you. Continue to trust, continue to take steps. What we do not understand now, we will understand later. And Jesus would tell that to his disciples. I'm going from, to my personal devotions, through the Gospel of John again, and I see that. Jesus telling the disciples, what I do, you do not understand now. What I tell you, you don't have a clue what I'm saying right now. But you will. You will if you persist, if you persevere, if you commit to saying, though I may not fully understand, my faith still grasps what I do know about Him. And I have learned that I can trust God's heart. So in this journey, now we reach the last part. Now as we are telling others that God is not angry with them, that God is not punishing them, that God in fact deeply loves them, wants to heal them, and the only thing getting in the way is our lack of sense of need of Him. That is it. We, we don't feel a need. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The first step, recognizing our need. As we begin to share that, it is not withholding, it's not God withholding His blessings or it's not Him not wanting to be made known, but our own self-sufficiency, our own indifference, our own pride that's preventing God from most fully working and making Himself known in our lives. The peacemakers leading others to also surrender and be at peace with God. The very last path to happiness doesn't sound very happy. Jesus says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's how it ends. Blessed are you for being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Remember when we talked about, you know, those blessed are those who thirst and hunger for, after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, those that are eh, peacemakers, they have tasted of the, the vaklava. They have tasted of the spiritual goodness of God's dispensing justice needed, not justice deserved. And they want others to experience that spiritual baklava. But we are shocked. And Jesus gives us this pathway to happiness so that we are not caught off guard. Because many Christians, many believers, many spiritual individuals, as they begin to experience this journey in their own lives, they are many times caught off guard by the culmination of it. You would think that after being peacemakers, you would be loved. Who would want to persecute individuals that want peace, right? Well, in this world, individuals that say something different about God than what society says become suspect. I may have shared with you already about how the insurance companies describe God. The cell phone that you may be listening to this podcast or video or however you're listening to this, your computer, if you were to list, read the disclaimer of warranty, listing how your device is warranted to you for a year, uh, blah, 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 and you know, any malfunctions, yada, yada. But then it goes into a long list of reasons why they will not cover your, your uh, phone. 
in the, some of the things that they highlight is earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, lightning, and all of those are described as acts of God. Remember that? How society calls acts of God all of those catastrophes that are happening in the news uh, recently with Harvey, Irma, Maria. There's another one brewing that is causing people in, in the coast, in the Gulf, to be nervous after they've seen the, the wreckage and the catastrophes. And if you ask Verizon, AT&T, all of these uh, phone companies, um, Apple and Google, how, who, who is the cause? Who is the reason behind these earthquakes and that destroyed lives in Mexico, two back-to-back -back almost? Who is the one responsible for Maria? Oh, Google would say, those are acts of God. We are an atheistic company. We profess no belief, but our lawyers will use God as a cop-out, as an escape goat, so that we don't have to pay for your phone should it get damaged during a flood. Nope, sorry, God did that to your phone. It's not our problem. So here come a group of people saying, no, wrong. God is not like that at all. In fact, we are here reaping the consequences of our own choices. And like I said, I'm eager to start this new series in which we will be looking closer at who God is. And they're beginning to this, uh, uh, contradict the common understanding of society. So in, this, in the midst of all of this, uh, assertions, society is convinced, you know, it, it is better to believe in no God than to believe in the God that many people of faith claim to be if he was all-powerful. Why doesn't he stop these catastrophes if the God, in this sense, in this case, Christians believe in, if the Christian God is supposed to be all-powerful, almighty, if in the Gospels he calmed storms, why didn't he calm Maria? Why is Dominica and all those other Caribbean islands, including Puerto Rico, so destroyed? Lives were lost. People are suffering. How can he be a God of love? when he did not stop these catastrophes? Those are legitimate questions, and we will address them. But many people have already made up their minds. They don't want to hear a different narrative, a different story, a different definition of God. They're angry at Him, and they're willingly choosing to stay that way. And because of that choice, anyone coming into their path telling them, no, God's not like that, God's different, will experience persecution. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to complete this series of the eight paths to happiness as presented by Jesus. So, I want to share with you a verse. You know that that's what we do when you hear that little music. John chapter 17 verse 3. Uh, this will be our verse that will conclude this series on the eight paths to happiness and will catapult us in future series. And in this one, John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is summarizing the goal and the purpose of why God has acted in human history. John, Jesus, in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3, verse 3, says this, And this is eternal life, 
that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Whom you have sent. John chapter 17, verse 3, doesn't equate or link eternal life to a set of behaviors or even to a specific a, a set of beliefs. It, it hangs everything in knowing and not knowing orthodox statement, statements or creeds. Um, that's not the focus of what Jesus summarizes. This experience called salvation, eternal life. This eternal life consists of this, that you would know the truthfulness, the, the reality of who God is. And that reality is understood through the one whom God has sent, Jesus Christ. You know, eternal life is a, a concept that many people, especially in the West here in America, the more you're educated, the more you're pushed to accept the fact that this is all you got. These 70, 80 years, and if you are got good genes, maybe 90, a little more, it, that's all you got. So you better uh, do all that you can. And that's some of the, the, the rationale of, you know, favoring people saying atheism is, is better than Christianity or any other faith group that believes that you continue after death. Atheism is realistic, they say. So you can do love, you have to love, show love now, and show compassion now, and not later. There's a video by a Dr. DeGrasse Tyson, and he's been interviewed by Larry King. And they are discussing about the afterlife. And Larry King, he's now very aged. Uh, he knows that he's not going to be around for long. And Dr. Tyson asked him, you know, so this question about eternal life, you know, some people ask, would you want to live forever? <laughs> Without hesitating, uh, Larry King says, yes. And Dr. Tyson laughs and says, okay, yeah, that's pretty honest. And then he says, but you know what? There's another way of looking at it. And then he goes into this about five to seven minute a rant on why he is a better person because he knows that there is no eternal life. And he says that if there was a et eternal life, he wouldn't know what to do with himself. He, he would not lack motivation to get out of bed. But because he knows he's going to die, death becomes the most positive power for good in his life. The knowledge that he will die, not the knowledge that he would have eternal life. Now, I would imagine that Dr. Tyson, and I can't speak fully for him, of course, but he might you know, a little bit of thinking that I've done after I heard him say such a thing is that maybe, maybe Dr. Tyson is not rejecting eternal life in itself, by itself. Eternal life comes in a package. Eternal life, by default, comes with a belief in a deity. Any deity, right? Any religion. Um, your afterlife is dependent on your belief or your adherence and your loyalty to a divine being including Christianity. What maybe Dr. Tyson is rejecting is not eternal life, but the pictures that he has been giving of God. Maybe the God that has been presented to Dr. Tyson is of such a nature, such a character, that he doesn't want that God. And because he doesn't want that God, he doesn't really care about the eternal life gift. Uh, when it comes down to it, he may consider eternal life 
but not with the picture of God that he may have been given. So Jesus understands this. It's amazing. You know, centuries, millennia, uh, written millennia before, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you may know God. If you don't really know him, you probably not want to be with him. You probably will prefer eternal death than to be with a God that gives cancer to babies, a God that is the originator of evil, a God that has everyone like puppets. Who would want such a God? It would be better for such a God to not exist. And thus, many atheists are grab, cling to their unbelief in God, not necessarily because they don't want to believe in God, but maybe they don't want to believe in that kind of a God. Understanding God is crucial. And these peacemakers that we were talking about, they are describing a God that goes contrary to society. Who is the God that you know? Who is God to you? Who is God to you in the painful moments of life? Not just in the good moments when the sun's shining. That, I think, when the darkness hits, is when you really see what you really believe about who God is. And to know God for who He is is the best reason to want eternal life. So, what blessing and what promise is given to those that experience persecution? This is the, the most powerful punchline, unexpected punchline of this whole path to happiness. Jesus says that those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to say that one more time. Those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Where do we hear that one? He never repeats. Jesus, throughout this whole path, never repeats the blessing received by those that choose the path to happiness. But this last one is the very first one. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus ends these blessings, this pathway of happiness, where he began. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And he closes with, um, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, righteousness sake, because yours is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. You know what that means? It means that there is no hierarchy. It means that when you look at other people that have faith, you shouldn't look at them as being better than you, or more importantly, worse off than you. This puts everything in a level playing field. We are all in this journey. The best attitude towards one another is to support and encourage each other, not step in each other's throat, not discourage each other, not say, hey, you're, you're in level four, I'm in level six. All of those categorizings that we have of faith are destroyed, are removed by Jesus in the pathway to happiness. And maybe that's part of being happy too, that you're not fixated in trying to categorize and quantify people's spirituality, rather just encourage them, encourage them. And the other part of this is, this path doesn't end. It is, it's not like going to college and you get a bachelor's and if that's all you wanted, then you're done. You got a degree. Or if you went at a master's, then you're done. You got your piece of paper. Or if you want a PhD, then you're there for a long, long time. You come out with a lot of debt, you got your piece of paper. 
but you're done. Not so when it comes to the path of happiness, which is, I think, one of the biggest or most beautiful perspectives that Jesus can give us to the happiness He gives us. The happiness He gives us is not like a culminating cap where while you've reached the highest pinnacle of happiness, there's nothing more. Now, you may be already catching where I'm going with this. This experience of happiness continues to grow, continues to grow, does not reach a cap, does not reach a ceiling. You know, there are jobs that you got a salary cap. There are certain jobs, even for at the CEO level, that they know that they will not be able to make that much money. They, they can only make this much money. And with that, once you achieve that, I mean, I was reach, re, uh, watching a training videos. I'm trying to equip myself better to expand my resources that I'm making available. And I'm exploring video. So I'm watching these professional YouTubers and learning what they've done that has helped them, you know, create material that is meaningful, that is engaging. And one of them said, you know, it takes a lot of hard work when you want to get a million views in YouTube. You know what? That's a double-edged sword because you get it and then the high is gone. Once you get a million views in YouTube, what's left? What's left? You've reached the highest pinnacle point. And everything that we have on this planet has that. Happiness, as far as this world is concerned, has a cap. But the pathway of happiness of Jesus never ends. It's a cycle. It's a cycle that expands and deepens. And it's because this source of happiness is not based on things that we have or don't have, or do or don't do. It's primarily focused on who God is. And God is eternal. Can you grasp eternity? God has pre-existed His creation. How long you've been around? See, getting to know God, as we read, is eternal life. And in that getting to know Him, you never graduate. You only get to the point where you discover that there's more and more and more. And in that process of discovering that there's more and more and more, your happiness, your happiness experiences a growth that nothing, no relationship, no temporal achievement on this earth could ever, ever match. My friend, I hope that you will review this series. Take notes. And I hope that you will get yourself a Bible. Start reading it. Get to know this God. To know Him is to have eternal life, to experience true happiness. God bless.